0: Um, Lots of you would know that uh, a couple of weeks ago now, um, uh, Paul and Alana, a week or so ago, Paul and Alana from this church got married. Uh, I went to their wedding, had a look. Um, I don't usually go to weddings, but um, I went, uh, which is a testament to how much I love those two young people. So I actually went to a wedding. Um, And it was good. I guess it was good. I mean, all weddings are good, aren't they? Um, It was good. Thank you. Uh, It actually reminded me... um, I have a couple of friends um, who eloped. Does anyone else know anyone who eloped? A a couple, yeah, just a a couple of hands. Um, I knew this couple, and uh, uh, they're a young couple, and they took a holiday to the US together, and they decided while they were there to just spontaneously get married in Vegas, uh, as you do, and so they went on this holiday and they kind of came back married. Um, and, and whenever you say that, whenever you tell someone you eloped, there's kind of two responses to why "I eloped," isn't there? There's people who think that's the worst idea in the world, and then there's a small group of people who think, oh, "I wish I'd done that." Uh, there's a small group of people who think, "Think of all the time that I would have, that you would save, all that wedding preparation, and all that planning time. Imagine, you know, just and imagine, and and they're more than that." Imagine how much money you would save, you know, like it'd just be brilliant, wouldn't it? You just, you know, I don't know how much you pay to get married in Vegas, but like it's nothing compared to what it costs to put on a a wedding, wouldn't it? And and like at the end of the day, it's the same, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, you end up married, don't you? It doesn't matter if you've got, you know, the biggest, flashiest wedding or whether you get married in Vegas, You, you both end up married, right? Well, except it's not right, is it? That's wrong, isn't it? Because... Um, While you kind of nod and while there's a little part of you that goes, wouldn't it be great to elope and to save all of that? When push comes to shove, most of us would never want to elope or if we are married would never have wanted to elope because getting married isn't just about getting married, is it? It's about getting married, surrounded by your friends and your family. And while when you elope you kind of get the piece of paper and that part of it's done... You miss what for most of us is actually the most important part of getting married and it's the community uh, into which that whole celebration happens. And of course it's not just, uh, you know, that's not just true of marriage, it's true of lots of things in life, isn't it? Um, uh, uh, My daughter's uh, not here today because it was her 16th birthday last night. Um, and uh, she is still crashed out on the floor of our house with half a dozen uh, of her girlfriends. There were like 20 people, uh, 20 young people in our house last night. A bunch of the girls stayed, and uh, when I left to come here, they were all still like, you know, uh, comatose uh, asleep on the floor. But if Ebony were here... She would say that it wasn't the cake, was it, that made the party that made last night great. It wasn't the presents. In fact, she got given presents. She didn't even bother opening them. They're still sitting in a pile somewhere for her to open today. Um, it wasn't my awesome wooden oven pizzas that made the night, though it should have been. Oh, and, and with Ed's help, yes. All credit. You've got to give it where it's due. It wasn't any of that, was it? I mean, you all know, like, you weren't there, but you know what made it great, don't you? It was just being there with all of her friends, you know, being able to celebrate, turning 16, surrounded by uh, her friends from youth group and some from school and, and you know, others. We're wrapping up our seven-day uh, faith, seven-day with Jesus series this week. We've been looking at at what it means to live A seven day faith with Jesus, and we've said from the outset, we've said this every week that there's a big difference, isn't there, between living a kind of a weekend faith and a seven day faith? A weekend faith, you can believe in God, you kind of come to church when it suits you, Um, you might even serve or get involved somewhere if it sounds like fun, and you know, maybe if a couple of friends are doing it, but there's there's a, there's a big difference between living that kind of faith and living a seven-day faith. And we've been talking about sort of what that difference is and, and importantly, how we get from here to there. We've talked about the, the, the foundation of a seven-day faith as a daily relationship with Jesus daily Bible reading and prayer and the way that that connects us to God on a daily basis. We talked about living a life that makes godly decisions daily, where our daily decisions are directed and are influenced by our belief in God. What we do, what we say, how we spend our time, how we spend our money. We talked about the importance of the centrality in a seven-day faith of sharing that faith. That right throughout history, people who've had, who've had that sort of seven-day faith have just naturally shared it. You, you can't help but share something naturally and normally that is kind of that important to you. It just comes out. It's a part of who you are. We talked uh, last week about the cost of that kind of faith. Jesus was really clear that following him, following him with that seven-day kind of faith won't be easy. That there's a cost to that, and we talked as sort of as honestly as we could about that cost. If you haven't heard any of the messages we say each week, um, you know, jump onto YouTube or your kind of favorite podcast app, and you can watch and listen to any of the messages in the series. But I want to wrap up uh, the series today with a reminder that a seven-day faith doesn't happen alone. Now. If you go to lots of churches, in fact, if you even talk to lots of Christians, it would be easy to get the idea that a Christian faith is just something that happens between you and God. It's just kind of you and Jesus sort of one on one. But the reality is actually nothing could be further from the truth. The story of God's people has always been a story based in community. Families, nations, communities, churches, from the very first pages of the Old Testament as you, as you open your Bible, the very first pages of your Bible, to the very last pages of the New Testament. The story of the Bible, the story of God's people has always been a story that is based in community that has been sort of lived out in community. We we talked about this before, that Jesus lived in community. When God chose to come to earth in the person of Jesus, he did that in the context of community. And all four of the Gospels, the biography of Jesus, all four of them begin very early on with Jesus choosing his, we call them his disciples, but choosing a small group, a little community that he would do life and ministry with. And when you read through the Gospels, through those stories, most of the things that Jesus did, he did in the context of community. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but almost all of the stories of Jesus happen in public places, surrounded by lots of people. They happen with his group of 12. They happen at dinners and at parties and in group settings. There's actually very few of Jesus' stories that are kind of one-on-one. There's very few of the, the, the stories in the life of Jesus that are sort of private, you know, just, just, just him and one other person over here. And after Jesus' death and resurrection, one of the last things that he does before he leaves earth is to promise his followers that he would remain with them through the person of the Holy Spirit. He promises that the coming of what we call the Holy Spirit on the church. And when the Holy Spirit came and burst the church in Acts chapter 2, if you haven't read that, Def- Acts chapter 2 is just a fantastic chapter of your Bible. Look it up somewhere and read Acts chapter 2. It happened in community. It happened in a, in a sort of large public gathering with lots of people around, with all the, all the believers together. And when Luke, who was there, it uh, wasn't there, but with Luke who talked to people who were there and, and kind of put together the story. When he tells the story in Acts chapter 2, he finishes, he finishes the, the kind of the story of the birth of the church. We're talking about what that church was like. We've read it before, but I want to read it again. It's so important in this space. Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42. They, they meaning the early church, these, these first believers in Jesus, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone as they had need. Every day, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, that's kind of like their their church, they, uh, in the temple courts and in homes. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We say this all the time, but I'm going to say it again. The early church wasn't a building, the early church wasn't an event that you came to once a week. The early church was a community of people. A lot of what we know about the early church, we know from the letters that were written to and from those early churches. Paul, who was a, a leader in, in this early church movement, he wrote a number of them. and I want to read to you a part of a letter that he wrote to the church in Rome. Now, Paul had never actually been to Rome at the point that he writes this letter. But he writes this letter. There's a, there's a church that's been there and he writes this letter sort of in advance um, to remind them of who Jesus is and to remind them of how we should live because of who Jesus is. I want to read to you from Romans chapter 12. Starting in verse 9, this is what Paul writes to the church. He writes, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, means like enthusiasm, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, and he quotes something from the Old Testament, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, if you read the whole letter uh, uh, that Paul wrote to the Romans, and you should absolutely do that. It's awesome stuff. The first 11 chapters, Paul spends talking about who Jesus is and what he's done for us in a lot of detail, a lot, a lot of detail. And then Paul transitions at the beginning of chapter 12 uh, when he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. And Paul's going to spend the rest of his letter talking about how we should live in light of who Jesus is. Does that make sense? So he spends 11, 11 chapters going, this is who Jesus is. This is what God's done for us in Jesus. Therefore, this is how we should live. Did you notice that most of what Paul said is about how we live with one another? When he says this is how we should live, I'm not read like verse 10. Don't uh, be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Verse 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. <laughs> 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. 16 live in harmony with one another be willing to associate with people of low position verse 17 don't repay evil for evil verse 18 if it's possible as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone verse 19 do not take revenge if you read paul's other letters they're all full of the same kind of language Peter in his letters talked about the same thing. John, when he wrote, was fanatical about this stuff. Listen to some of one of John's letters. This is 1 John 4. He writes, Dear friends, this is who he's writing to. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And his love is made complete in us. He doesn't stop there. Jump down a few verses to verse 20, same chapter. Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister who they have seen, cannot love God who they have not seen. And he's given us this command, God has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love God. Their brother and sister. He goes as far as saying, it's, you actually can't love God if you're not also deeply connected, loving for those around you. There were no individual followers of Jesus in the early church. This isn't in the Bible, this is just me, but I am pretty sure that if you travelled back in time and you met one of those early Christians, if you'd, if you'd gone up to them and said, look, I'm a Christian, I follow God, but I'm not really kind of part of a church, they would have looked at you kind of sideways and scratched their head. They wouldn't have understood what you were talking about. How could that be? How could you be a Christian and be separate from community? Like bees can't exist without their hive. Like penguins can't survive the cold without their colony. Christians can't survive without the deep connection to Christian community. Those first followers of Jesus followed Jesus together. They read the scriptures together. They prayed together. They served together. They hung out together. They ate together. They loved one another all the time. You can't live a seven-day faith alone. And when I say alone, you can't even live it sort of with a close friend or just with your family. You can only live a seven-day faith when you are connected in Christian community.